0: Welcome to the Joseph Z Audio Podcast. For more information about this and other resources, go to josephz.com. This world needs a whole lot less people quitting on their vision. Most people quit their vision halfway through because of opposition. Now, let me say this clearly God needs you to fulfill your vision. This world needs you to not quit on your vision. You have a vision, God birthed something in you, and literally your vision, the very words God spoke to you, the very things that your heart has been stirred over, your gifts, your callings, what will happen with that oftentimes is you get inspired, you have a revelation, you get a vision, and opposition makes you quit. And today we're not gonna have that. We're not gonna have that in our life. You're not gonna have it in your life. And no matter what's going on, the trials of life, the difficulty things that are going on, whatever is taking place is not going to get you to quit your vision. And we're going to back this up with the Word of God, and we are going to punish the opposition that tries to take us to our knees. Let's jump into this this morning. I believe this is going to really help you. So let's talk about this. We, We recognize out of Proverbs 4 and verse 18 says this very clearly here, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. Think about that just for a moment with me. The path of the righteous is like the first glimmer of dawn when you're going through the nighttime, okay? And it's dark, it's dark. You're going through darkness and all of a sudden you see the sun or the first gleaming light of the, the morning beginning to break through the horizon. And Proverbs 4.18 says the path of the righteous is, You may be going through darkness, you might be going through nighttime, you might be going through something, but the path of the righteous is like that first light of dawn, that first glimmer of light in the morning, and it shines brighter and brighter till the full light of day. You are not called to get dimmer and dimmer, literally uh, Proverbs 4.18 says the path of the righteous is like that first glimmer of dawn. When people run into you in darkness, they should see something different. They should see a light. There should be a glow about you. There should be a hope. Light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Now, in your life too, when when you see that uh, that first glimmer of light, it should grow and grow and grow until you have a full glaring light of day. In other words, the path of the righteous to others and to yourself should be one of light illumination until it grows like the sun at noontime. That's literally what God's called you to do. That is the calling on your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're not gonna see darkness. It doesn't mean other people are not in darkness. It doesn't mean they're not challenged by darkness, but the path of the righteous, listen to me, the path of the righteous is like the first glimmer of dawn and it shines brighter and brighter till the full light of day. That is awesome. I mean, that is awesome. You think about this, it is awesome when you start to understand what, what the Word of God teaches you about the righteous. You ever seen that scripture in Proverbs where it says, the righteous fall seven times, but rise again, and many people say, well, that's because people fall in sin, you, you, you have difficulty, you have challenges. No, it's talking about the righteous fall. When the righteous fall, it's not talking about the righteous that fail, it's talking about falling, I believe, not meeting the expectations you had in that season or getting to your goal or, or getting somewhere. You're, you're full of faith and you stretch and you don't quite get to the destination at that time, but it says you rise again. Again, that's the path of the righteous is like that light of dawn that brings the full light of day. It starts out as a, a, a simple light that begins to illuminate until the full light of day. God never calls you to decrease. He's a God of multiplication. He's not glorified by your decreasing. And the only time you decrease is if God prunes you to multiply you. The reason you get pruned is to multiply. And pruning is not this death experience where God comes in and just puts sickness on you and challenges and destroys your life. No, no, no. Pruning is an area where he begins to craft you and sculpt you and cuts off uh, things that are, are literally not, that are carnal and things that you're you're being de- beginning to develop in in the wrong, the wrong way. A pruning is something where God speaks to you. He prunes with his word. He begins to speak to you through his word and direct you and guide you. If you don't listen to his word and you're not being uh, sensitive to his word, life will prune you harder than his word will because God's trying to preserve you from that type of pruning where life hammers you and hurts you and all this stuff. But his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We begin to understand that and it'll prune us so we don't get hammered. You know, like Jesus said, uh, if you judge yourself, you know, in this world, you won't be judged. You know, do not judge others. You won't be judged. But also if we judge ourselves we say, whoa, this area of my life needs to develop. I need to prune this in my mind. I need to think better. I need to think spiritually. I need to renew my mind to the word of God. When you get that down, you'll begin to Develop into all God's called you to be, and then you avoid the world pruning you versus the word of God pruning you, which brings life. Now, this is so good. We got so many good things to talk about this morning. You're going to really get something out of this. Now, we just talked about Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous, out of the New American Standard Version, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter till the full light of day. You are called to glow and grow grow and glow (laughs) until you come to the fullness, the full light of your calling, the magnification of your calling, the, the amplification of the mark on your life is that illumination till the full light of day. We know Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light has come. Amen? And so we understand this. So now listen to me very carefully. Did you know that your vision and your calling will test you. And you say, wait a second, I thought God loved me. I thought all this and that. Yeah, God loves you. But he'll put a vision, a calling on you. Your dream will grow in you. And then that dream will test you. Now, God's not trying to destroy you. God's not trying to test you. He's not trying to crush you. But your dream and vision will. Here's how. You'll have a dream. You get a vision from God. Something grows up on the inside of you. You know God spoke to you something. Or you have this desire burning in you. And then time hits you. You might have an encounter in a meeting, you might be a young person, you may be older, whatever, and all of a sudden, either you've had a vision at a certain point in your life when you're young or something just hits you, and when you get that vision touching your life or you get a dream like, my goodness, I could do that, I have a desire for this, and you start to step into it and it kind of burns in you, all of a sudden, you realize that that God's spoken to you, you have something working in you and then In that process, you get excited about it. You say, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do this. Something good's going to happen. This is amazing. And you start to go down that path. But then you run into time. And time begins to, in a sense, oppose the fulfillment of that vision. What you don't realize, though, is time's developing the vision. And many times we think, why do I not see it happening yet? But time hits us. Time happens. And then it begins to test that vision. Will you hang under the vision, or will you surrender it because you haven't seen it fulfilled in the time frame you thought it should happen in? Will you surrender the vision? Will you surrender the dream? Or will you continue to manifest forward and develop, allow God's word to prune your mind, prune your desires, prune the the carnality in your mind, or will you just let it go? Will you just let it go? Most people, listen to me, most people let their vision go. Most people do not stand long enough to see the fulfillment. Most people, I, you know, and I'm, I'm just making up stats here in my mind or what I would think. But in my walk in life, meeting all the people I meet and the different ones I talk to and uh, the audiences I, I, I minister to or whatever, people I meet afterwards, I recognize most people let go they let go a long time ago. Most people are gonna die letting go. Most people settle at the first opposition. Some people have one rodeo in them. They get through the rodeo and they say, okay, but if you're not ready to just make life about a rodeo and and ready to just keep going and saying the vision is true, the word of God cannot lie, God cannot lie. If you don't have that in your heart, your vision will test you and it'll break you. Now let me talk to you about this. You say, well, you better give me some word on that. I will right now. Let's go over to Psalm chapter 105, Psalm chapter 105, if you would, Psalm chapter 105 in the Word of God. I'm going to give this to you right from the Word of God, and this is going to help you today because many times people uh, start out and their vision begins to test them the call of God in your life begins to test you. Now, God's not testing you, but he'll mark you with something and it is your responsibility. It is my responsibility to not just develop, but to be diligent, hardworking, and uh, faithful to the vision. You And we always talk about, oh, we we need a break. We need to take a rest. Yes, we do, and we need to do that. And I'm gonna do that often as I can, and you should too. But I gotta tell you, there's most of the time that we are hard after it, doing what God calls us to do. And uh, we need to do that in balance and all these things but let's talk about this. Psalm 105, Psalm 105, let's start out in verse 17. Verse 17, I'm gonna talk to you out of the Psalms about Joseph, about Joseph. I have a, a series I teach called the Joseph Anointing, and this is a little bit of that. But Psalm 105, verse 17, let's start out here. It says, he sent a man before them, Joseph. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, verse 18 they hurt his feet with fetters. They hurt Joseph's feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Isn't that wild? Joseph had feet that were shackled and his feet hurt. It says his feet were hurt with the fetters. Here you get insight into Joseph. Joseph actually was in pain isn't in his imprisonment. Now, the word of God teaches us that his feet hurt with fetters. And it goes on to say uh, he was laid in irons. In other words, he was, uh, he was, shackled up or laid down and you know they pounded the irons onto his wrists and verse 19 and this is what we recognize until until the time that his word listen carefully this is not god's word it's a small h the time that joseph's word the word joseph received that he possessed in his mind and his soul the time until the time that joseph's word came to pass the word of the lord verse 19 The word of the Lord tested him. It tested him. Listen to me very carefully. The word of the Lord tested him. Verse 20, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. Verse 21, he made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions. And verse 22, to bind his princes at the pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Now, it goes on to talk about all these things, but let's back up here just for a moment. Let's back up. It goes on to talk about Moses went through the same process, different people did. But it's talking very clearly here. Notice now, verse 17, one more time. I'm in Psalm 105, verse 17. It says, He sent a man before them. This is talking about Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph was sold as a slave. Verse 17 of Psalm 105, verse 18. They hurt his feet with fetters he was laid in irons. Joseph was in captivity. He was in pain. Now we know the story of Joseph. We know what happened when Joseph was a boy. Remember, God gave Joseph a dream. He told his brothers about it. Joseph, on one hand, was kind of arrogant, but on another hand, he was so pure hearted. He just told them the dream. He said, hey guys, I got to tell you a dream. I had this dream. It's so cool. God spoke to me. I think of Joseph like, um, you know who he reminds me of when I read Joseph? I think about him. That that young guy right now who plays Spider-Man, I'm trying to remember his name right now. But the the kid in the Avengers movies who plays Spider-Man right now, I think of that guy when I think of Joseph. He's like, hey, Mr. Stark, I got this and that going on. I think Joseph was a lot like that. I had a dream, I had a vision. I, he's ambitious. He's desire. He desires to do the right thing. All that. But he told people what was going on, and he he was immature. Told his dream to his brothers. Told his dream to his dad, and it, of course they didn't receive that very well. I see you all bowing down to me. I'm sure that was really a blessing for. Them and all that, and then he began to say these things. But I think Joseph was so pure hearted that he had a genuine dream from God and spoke it out. He spoke it out, and when he did that, he was persecuted for it to the level that he was not only thrown in the pit, he actually ended up shackled. And we know the story of Joseph, he got shackled, but you realize that these shackles. Hurt his feet with fetters, he was laid in irons. Verse 18 of Psalm 105 says, Joseph was in a painful, challenging experience. And it says clearly here, and you gotta get this in your heart this morning. Get this in your heart right now. It says clearly right here. It says, verse 19, he was laid in these fetters and irons until the time of his word came to pass. And it says, the word of the Lord tested him. Listen to me. The word of the Lord that God has spoken over your life, the things that have come against you, the, the, the call of God, your vision, your desire, that dream that you know God gave you, it's going to test you. And how does it test you? When you all of a sudden get the word and boom, something shackles you and you say, this is opposite to what I've seen. This is opposite of my dream. How in the world does this work? This is opposite of what I know I've seen. This is opposite of what was spoken over my life. This is opposite of what God spoke to me. This is opposite of the encounter I had with the Lord where he set me on a path. This is opposite of something I've always wanted to do. Why is it the opposite is happening to me when I'm really desiring to do what I dream about. And that happens because literally it is the testing of that word. Now, let me say something to you very clearly. We realize in the, in the book of Mark, we recognize something very strong and clear. Trials and tribulations are not from God. The testing is not from God. The shackles are not from God. The steel and the metal and all these things, God will use it. He used Joseph's brothers, throwing him in a pit, selling him to the Ishmaelites, which is Islam. Uh, He used them, he used the false accusation in Potiphar's house, he used all these things where Joseph ended up in prison, and even Joseph gives clear words to the the potter and the baker and all these things, he gives clear words to them, and they still left him in prison, and Joseph's gift is working, everything's happening for him, and he still ends up in prison, and at the end of the day, he finally ends up before the king, and all these things unfold for his good, but God didn't, I believe, put him there i believe god used him there i believe god leveraged that now it could be said that god put him on that path to get him where he's going I'll let you decide that. But here's what I wanna say about it, is that these things do not come to better you. The trials, tribulations, the shackles, the irons, the, the, the suffering we go through is not from God. And secondly, it doesn't come to better you, it comes to kill you. We realize that it says in, uh, in the book of Mark, in the book of Matthew, very clearly that it teaches us, trials and tribulations do not come to better us. It comes to steal the word of God out of our heart. It comes to steal the word you were given. The thing you are going through is testing your word. It's testing the word. It's testing the vision. Your vision will test you. The trials and tribulations come to test the word of God you have in your heart. And if you let go of it, guess what? You'll lose it. You'll lose it. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Most people are walking around unsatisfied with their living. They're walking around unsatisfied in life because they literally have settled and they let trials and tribulations overwhelm them, overrun their heart, and then they're really unsatisfied because the gift and the calling never dies. It never dies. So you have to find ways then to numb it. You have to find ways to go do other things. You have to find ways to not be where you're supposed to be. People out of their lane with a calling are in torment. They're in torment because the trials and tribulations that come against their heart, that really try to stop them are literally these things that try to rip that word out of their heart. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing worse than a person that allows that calling, that gifting uh, to be the, the attack of the, the, the enemy, the attack of life, to rip that word of God out of their heart, but the calling remains. The issue is most people are split. In other words, they've let go of their, their calling and, and, and they let go of their dream to go after the vision, but they still have the mandate. And when you still have the mandate, that's torture. You see a tortured person. You see a double-minded person unstable in all their ways. You see a person that is not developing in their calling. You see somebody that's like, well, I used to do that, and and they just get mad. They just get bitter. They get offended. They get off-ended. They're not not after their end anymore. They're good end. They're off it. And you begin to recognize that God wants you to win even more than you do. But if you get offended in the trial, you get so exhausted in the trial that you're not willing to stir yourself up in your faith, I want to tell you today, you will be more miserable than you are now and you say, I'm tired, I don't wanna fight anymore, you don't have a choice. You have no choice. If you decide, I'm tired, I'm not gonna fight anymore, well good, you know what's gonna to happen to you? It'll get worse. It'll get so much worse. You have no choice but to buckle in, lean into it, and say, you know what? My God is greater than the problem in front of me. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it all. But you know what? It's not about how I got here. Quit trying to figure out how you got here and start leaning into the word of God on where you're going. Stop looking at the path to where you got. Stop looking backwards and saying, how did I get here? Let's Stop analyzing it, because you can't fix it anyway. Start focusing on here and now and developing in the word of God, begin to renew your mind to the word of God, begin to develop in the word of God. And people that live in the past, like uh, like people that talk about the old sports days, like, <laughs> you know, all these things, you know, I used to be amazing. You know, I just hurt my back playing, you know, whatever. I, I was amazing. You should have seen me back in the glory days. Nobody cares about your glory days. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your wins. You can tell them about it, but you got to be in the now. You gotta be in the now. You gotta move forward in the now. You gotta progress right now. You gotta lean in right now. The path of the righteous is like the first light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter, not dimmer and dimmer. And that is predicated on your decision, it's predicated on your choice. Your choice today is I advance, I'll take another yard. And even if I get pushed back in this, symbolic game of football, if I get pushed back a couple yards, you know what? We run another play, and we run another play, and we run another play. Because the deal is, at the end of the day, we've got to press in and press on in the name of Jesus. And when you do this, that's what Joseph did. You know what Joseph's life cry was? When they threw him in the pit, I believe Joseph yelled out from the bottom of the pit, Temporary! I believe when they threw Paul in jail, I think he yelled out, Temporary! And Give me a pen, I'm going to write the Bible praise God. I think that when all these different guys did things, I think their life cry was, this is temporary. I like what Dave Dwell used to say. One of his favorite verses in the Bible was, and it came to pass. Whatever you're going through came, but it came to pass. Trials don't last always. Listen to me. Trials don't last always. They're not designed to last always. They don't have the staying power of the people of God. Trials are not made to last always, they have a shelf life. And I look at my trials and I literally declare over them you have the shelf life of a banana. I say that over trials. You have the shelf life of a banana. Thank you, Jesus. And I and trials don't last always, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what is designed to last always? You. You are designed by the Spirit of God to last always. You are designed to press on, press through, overcome. The, the path of the righteous is like that light of dawn that begins to glimmer. It begins to, to, to glow. It begins to uh, arise at the first light of day. And it grows past all the problems. You are called to illuminate, to multiply forward. We realize Proverbs 4.18 says the path of the righteous is like that first light of day. In other words, your path every morning, His mercies are new every morning. And you got recognize when his mercies are on you in the morning and you're waking up and you're looking at the sunrise you realize your life is filled with hope and you need to declare hope you need to meditate on hope because hope gives birth to faith you know And so you begin to step into these things. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but you need to confront it with your faith. You must confront it with your faith. If you do not confront it with your faith, you're gonna have more of the same. You're gonna shrink back. It says in the book of uh, Hebrews that we're literally not called to shrink back. The soul of the Lord is not pleased when we shrink back. In other words, his mind, his will, and his emotions say, I'm not pleased when you shrink back. I love you, I'm pleased with you, but I'm not pleased with that action. Because I know you will not fulfill your calling. Amen. So we've got to step forward. Now, we recognize all these things. Here's one of the number one factors in why we don't receive all we're supposed to get. Here's why we quit on the path. Here's where what the devil's after. The devil wants to steal the word of God. He wants to pervert the word of God. He wants to begin to break things over your life so you do not possess what you can confess, okay? The devil wants to break things over your life so you do not possess what belongs to you. He wants to break your vision. He wants to test that vision, test the metal of that vision, and keep hammering on it, hammering on it, so you'll quit and not fulfill your calling. And that's why the body of Christ. He the number one thing he's trying to do today is not have good teaching of the word. You see churches everywhere. Listen to me. You see churches everywhere that do not have good teaching of the word and they want to be more entertaining and all this stuff and they're creating weak believers. It's creating weak believers and that's why so much is not going right in this world because the world is no longer seeing mature believers. They're not seeing mature believers. The church isn't seeing mature believers. Now I'm not saying everywhere. I'm not saying everywhere. You're probably a part of a great congregation or something where the word is being taught and people are growing. They're being fed. They're, they're being fed. But I've got to tell you right now in the name of Jesus. God needs mature believers, but the devil is after one thing and one thing, especially when it comes to stealing the word. You say, okay, he steals the word. What does that mean? When you don't have the word of God rooted in your heart, what you begin to do is you lose your confidence. When you lose confidence, you become ineffective. You know, people say the most attractive thing in the world is confidence. It's true. When you have confidence in the Word of God, I'm not talking about pride. Now, religion calls confidence pride. It's because religion is stupid. Religion calls confidence pride. When you have confidence in the Lord God Almighty, it may look like pride to religion because religion can't smell what true breakthrough really is. It it, it can't sense what true breakthrough really is. It literally doesn't even know how to recognize it, so it attacks it. Religion is always filled with that stuff. No, religion's stupid. You need to get into confidence. confidence. is when you have the word of God rooted in you. When the word of God is rooted in you, it will set you free to breakthrough. It will set you free to confront the confrontation. The things that's coming against you. Remember David, when he confronted Goliath, he had confidence and his confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in the fact that he knew God. He said, God's already delivered me from the lion. He's delivered me from the paw of the bear. He's delivered me from all these things. And I've got to say to you, this guy will be no different than that. And David didn't know any better because all he did to spend time with God. He developed his confidence. Let me give you a scripture for that. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Let me read this to you. Hebrews 10, 35. Listen to me carefully. This will break you through today if you can hear this. Hebrews 10, 35. It says, therefore, do not. Many of us today need to hear this. You need to hear this in the word of God today. Do not. Therefore, do not. Do not. The word of God says it. Do not. Do not. It's like a assertion. It's like a command. It's, he's, he's really saying, listen to me. I'm not exhorting. I'm, I'm stating. and I'm telling you. Do not. And what's he saying? Do not do. Hebrews 10.35. Do not cast away your confidence. Listen. Do not cast away your confidence. Your confidence, which, listen now, this is so loaded. Hebrews chapter ten thirty-five. therefore do not cast away your confidence. What's the opposite of casting away your confidence? Embracing it, leaning in, saying I'm the righteousness of God, man. Praise God. God's armed me for this scenario. This scenario might be facing me, but you know what? This, this scenario has me to face. Uh, problems may be coming at me. I'm literally going to come at them. These problems have a, ha, have a problem. My problem has a problem, and it's Christ in me with confidence, the hope of glory. You better back up. You better back up, problem, because I'm here now. Jesus is in me, and I'm coming at it. It's, it's awesome. It says, therefore, do not, Hebrews 10, 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, which has great reward. This is so powerful, guys. So powerful. I was studying out uh, what it means in the Hebrew when the blessing overtakes you. It means that the blessing will catch up to you. It'll overcome. It'll, it'll run you down. The blessing will literally overtake you. It, it'll overtake you in Jesus' name. So that's what we understand. So l- listen now carefully. Confidence, hallelujah. Do you know what the word confidence means? Let, let me just break this down. In the, in the Greek, it has this sense. Confidence is someone who's so bold They'll, they'll publicly declare it. They'll publicly declare what they believe. They're outspoken about what they believe. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, when I've been in the doctor, when I've been in the doctor and, and uh, the Lord you know, is with us and all these things, I've been in the doctor with Heather and all these things. And Heather's going through sickness. The doctor comes in and says, your wife, I'm sorry. She's got a very short lifespan. She's not going to make it because of her levels, her blood pressure, her size, all these things. It's not going to work for her. I'm so sorry to give you this news, but you guys, you need to really prepare because she really could die. She could die. And uh, confidence means this in the Greek, it means you're outspoken and you can say what you believe. So when, she, when they said that to her, I actually came back in and I said, no. I don't believe any of that. I actually break and I cut off every word that this person said. And I'm kind and I love doctors, I'm thankful for them. But I came in and I said, what this word was said over you, we do not receive it. I put more confidence in the word of God than I do what a doctor says or what some other person says. And I spoke it out and broke it off her life. And then we went into battle for like five years, three years, turned into five years, and uh, we went to battle until she was well. But we never cast away our confidence over that topic. How about finances? You have finances come against you, and it's like, oh, it looks like we're going to be in lack. This looks really bad. This looks really bad. You get something like that. You know what? You don't cast away your confidence. You say, nope, I'll never be broke a day in my life, ever. Praise God. If I have 50 cents in my pocket, I ain't broke. (laughs) <laughs> I'll never be broken day in my life. And you lean into that and you say, no, no, I know God's plan for me is to prosper me and see me in good health and increase and in abundance and superfluous overflow. You have that stuff going on in you and you don't let go of it. You lean into it and you say, I am breaking through. Praise God, I am going through. They might try to come and take things from you, hurt you, whatever. And you say, I'll never be broken day in my life because I put my confidence in the word of God and not the works of man, not in what the circumstance say. Circumstances come and go. Stuff happens. Things are going to unfold. All that stuff. You lean in and you don't let go of your confidence. Why? Because it says when you don't cast it away, when you keep your confidence in the word of God, it literally says it has great reward. It means that if you hang on just a little longer, if you stay in the game just a little while longer and you press forward and you press forward and you press forward, you literally will get great reward. You'll get what belongs to you. You'll get what's coming to you. You'll get the word of God coming to you. Just like Joseph, who says he was in, in Psalm 105, he was in fetters. He was in chains. He was shackled. He had disappointment after. You want to talk about a disappointing life. Here's a kid that was raised in a rich family. He is like a prosperous young guy, okay? He had the coat of many colors. He walked around in his little Armani suit. He was like, it would be literally the, the equivalent of Baron Trump, okay? Trump's son. And he's in that place and all these things happen. And the next thing you know, he's, a, he's an outcast. He's in some other uh, nation where, where they don't even care who he is. Nobody knows what he is. None of it. He's in that place. And that'd be, you know, that'd be a formula to be discouraged. That'd be a formula to be discouraged, you know? And you go through these things, but I gotta tell you, Joseph's life, he's in the pit, He's, he's falsely accused. He ends up in jail. He has all these things happening. It's a long process until he finally, even in jail, he thinks he's getting his moment of breakthrough and he still gets the door shut on him until finally one day somebody remembers him and it's not this big event. They just bring him forward and he begins to stand where he's supposed to be. Joseph never cast away his confidence. He never cast it away. And I've got to tell you, when you don't cast away your confidence, it has great reward attached to it. You need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. Listen to me. When God called you blessed, when God called you blessed, he meant it. When God said, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve. When he said to Abraham, I've given you the land, the sea. I'm, I'm going to make your children. I'm going to bless you with multiplication and increase. And we have that same blessing on us. When you lean into that and you say, that's my reality. That is my reality, not the circumstances. You have confidence in what he's doing. Now listen, the best way to stand on confidence is to have corresponding action, faith faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Dead. He doesn't say it's bad, it's troubling. It's dead. Your faith with no works, nothing that you do, a corresponding action in the natural uh, is dead. In other words, you could say, I'm prosperous, but you don't give. You could say, I'm healed, but you don't I'll meditate on the word and lay hands on yourself and lay hands on people, you're not gonna see that manifestation. If you don't do these things, if you don't say, hey, we're called to be salt and light, but you don't witness to people, your faith is dead in that area. It's not even it's not even on life support, it's dead. You gotta make it live by an action that lines up. First Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 46. It says that first in the natural, then in the spiritual. And that means this: we've got to do natural actions to get supernatural corresponding reactions. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. Uh, it says, first in the natural, it says the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. It means this, that what you do in the natural is is directly related to what's going to come out of the spiritual. The spiritual, it's all done for us, ladies and gentlemen. We have everything we need by grace, which is the realm of the spirit. The natural is the realm of faith. And we got to strive in faith to enter that rest that's done for us. Salvation-wise, uh, healing-wise, everything we need. We strive in faith to to lay hold of what's done for us in grace. Uh, You got to understand that. And we realize that that's how we receive Jesus. We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved, right? From grace, grace already provided it. And it says in Colossians chapter two, the same way we received him, but by believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, is the same way we walk in Him every day, and that means this: that you don't cast away your confidence. In other words, the same way that you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, is the same way you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, or believe in your heart, lay hands on the sick, believe in your heart, sow seed to receive a harvest, believe in your heart, tell people the word of God so they receive Jesus. You've got to do things in the natural to receive a supernatural reaction, and when you get this in place, you'll start to break through. But in that process, you cannot cast away your confidence. As a matter of fact, the Word of God teaches us, do not cast away your confidence because it has great reward. How many of you know there's seed time and harvest time and that's not just money? Okay, this is talking about life. It's life. Seed time and harvest time is what you're doing now is sowing seed. Whatever you spend your time doing is sowing seed. Whatever your heart and mind meditate on is sowing seed, sowing seed. And when you begin to really begin to meditate day and night on the word of God, you're sowing seed into your heart. Did you know that what you speak out of your mouth, what you speak out of your mouth is literally an abundance of what you've sown into your heart? You know, that's why Jesus said, through the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that happens because you are meditating on things. What you think about is you sowing seed. What you're feeding on, entertainment-wise or whatever. And I like entertainment, but if that's your primary uh, source and you're feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding on on, on worry, listen to me, if you're feeding on the bread of sorrows, the word of God teaches us, if you're feeding on fear, if you're feeding on worry and you're feeding on all these things, you will have a harvest of that manifest. But if you confront that with confidence, in the word of God and you say, no, here's the deal. I believe that I receive great reward because I will not cast away my confidence. I refuse to believe that God's word is not true because the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. Your path is like the light of dawn for this world, for you, you are salt, you are light, you are preserving this place. The path of the righteous, you, you're like the light of dawn for your experience and for those around you until the full light of day. Everything you touch should prosper. It should start out good. It should have uh, salt and light preserving it, illumination of goodness, light, good knowledge of God in every circumstance, and salt that preserves brings flavor until the full light of day. In other words, you start out with hope. You start out with light. You start out with illumination, and you keep going. And even if you fall, you get back up and you keep going. Praise God. Maybe all of a sudden your flashlight shuts off. You know what? God, is not mad at you, but don't cast away your confidence. Praise God. Don't cast away your confidence. Heather and I learned this saying a long time ago. We say this when we're in the airport, something goes sideways. The other day, we we ended up flying like nearly all night because uh, there was bad weather and we got stuck at an airport and there's no way to change the flights, right? We're just sitting there, you know? And, uh, you, and many of you understand that. And we're doing that. And we just always say, it'll all work out for our good. It'll all work out for our good. And uh, people say, for your good. That sounds miserable. You know what? I trust God. I trust God. And you got to trust him. I remember we used to travel years ago and everybody always wanted to be all, you know, strong with people. And some of the people we've ever worked with, they would talk to people, you know, really strong at, uh, you know, some of the checkpoints at different gates, and and uh, even checking in, you know, at a baggage thing, you're checking your bag, or you're getting your ticket, or something to go on a plane, and uh, me and my friend Joel, we, we would go to these counters, and we'd be like, we are so favorite, we just say to each other, we're favorite of God, God loves us so much, and we go up, and we find the meanest person sometimes, or we would let the Holy Ghost lead us to who to go meet with at a, a ticket counter, when we're checking in, and we walk in, and we just say, hey everybody, how you doing, and, and they'd be like, maybe mm, they'd be all dark order, but we don't, say favor and peace that god loves us and we go in with that mentality and we'd get all kinds of favor we get upgrades we get put here we get put there and other people that came in with the right plan and really stepped on people and all that stuff would end up you know all back of the bus and stuff anyway i just want to say to you that god's called you to not cast away your confidence and i want to say clearly your vision What God gave you to do, the stirring in your heart, your dream and your vision gets tested. God's not testing you, but your dream and vision will get tested by the trials of life. And it's not God. It's not the devil. It's not things. Sometimes it's just life happens. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says, if a tree falls in the woods, there it lays. You know, a lot of times we say, God did this. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Praise God. Sometimes it's your stupidity, it's my stupidity, or it's just bad circumstances. You know, there's a domino effect in this life. You know, God's not in control of everybody's actions. And you gotta recognize that. And so in the book of Luke, Jesus talked about, he said those people that were killed by the Tower of Siloam. There was a tower called Siloam in the book of Luke. And it fell, and it was kind of like a modern day 9-11 to them. In other words, there was a bunch of people, and this tower fell and killed something like 18 people. And they said, Lord, were these people worse sinners than everybody else? And Jesus said, he said, I tell you the truth, these people were not worse sinners than anybody else, but unless everybody repents, we're all going to basically die the same way. You're going to die the same way. In other words, Jesus is saying bad things happen, uh, sometimes arbitrarily. They just happen. The bricks weren't strong on the tower, probably. It broke, and it fell down, and it killed 18 people. And when that happened, Jesus wasn't saying God did that to them as a sign to teach you all something. He just said, no, this stuff happens. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand these things. Things happen in this world, and you've got to lean into it. We're in a fallen world. We're in a messed up world. It's no wonder worse things don't happen, but bad things happen to good people because we're in a fallen world, and the devil, the little G, the little God of this age is still running the carnal world, and we've got to stand up against it by not casting away our confidence. This world is designed to oppose the word of God. This world and its carnality hates the things of the spirit. It doesn't even know why it does. It just does, and you've got to stand against it and stand with your vision. When you get a vision from God, when you have a calling from God, immediately, every religious demon, When you, especially when you stand up to take it, you take that sword that belongs to you, you stand up and say, I'm taking what's mine. Religion rises up and it's like, mm, what's that? Get them. <laughs> da, da 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 And that's what religion does. It comes after you because it wants to stop the word of God working in you. Cast not away your confidence. Do not Cast away your confidence. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I know what you're facing today, but the path of the righteous, that's you. You are the righteous. You are the path of the righteous. You are the righteous, and you're called to work forward, and you're called to lean into it. Do not back up. Do not lay down. Do not fall down. Stand up, not in the flesh, in the Word of God. We got to put pressure on the covenant. Putting pressure on the covenant means you believe the Word of God because the Word of God says it, and you put your confidence in that, and you, you act correspondingly to what the Word of God says. When you act in a corresponding way to the Word of God, you're putting pressure on the covenant. Don't put pressure on people. Don't lean into people. You need to do this and this and this. No, no. That's carnality. And you can get instant results doing that, but you won't have lasting results doing it because you'll start striving in the flesh and, and you'll start reaping the flesh and all that stuff. But when you sow into the covenant and you put pressure on the covenant and you say to God, your word says, and not with attitude, but you do it with faith, your word says Oh, God, your word says, and I remind you of your word today, and I want you to know, God, I believe your word. I won't insult you. Heather and I were praying the other day, and we said this out loud. We said, God, we won't insult you by court, by going against what your word says. I won't insult you by getting in fear. I won't insult you by saying, well, God, do you not know our circumstances? Don't you care, Lord? We won't insult you. We won't insult you. You literally need to lean in and say, no, no, I put pressure on the covenant. You said this so I believe it. I believe it. Your word says, so I declare it and I believe it in Jesus' name. And I will not cast away my confidence because I know if I hang on, if I hang on and I develop my mind in it, if I transform my thinking and I begin to speak my confession, believe in my heart what your word says and confess it with my mouth, at the end of that, it will have great reward attached to it. It'll have reward attached to it. The reward is coming. We've got to stand in confidence. Keep leaning forward your vision Your vision is under assault every day by your own believing, by what you think, by by circumstances that change and shift around in you. No, you must put your hope, your confidence, put your pressure on that covenant, Put pressure on the covenant of God. You lean into it and you put pressure on it and say, I'm not letting go. Devil, you wanna come after me? You wanna come after me? Well, you're standing against the covenant of God. You're not even standing against me. You're standing against God's promise on my life. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus said, I have life and life more abundantly. So guess what? You're trying to counteract God said to Abraham, God said to Isaac, God said to Jacob. And when it came through to Jesus, the seed of Abraham, and if we are in Christ, we are complete in him, Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, and when you're in him, you're complete in him. That means every promise, everything Jesus has, you have in your covenant. So when you're believing in Jesus, you're putting faith in the promise. You have all that Jesus has. Put pressure on that. Put pressure on that. How do you put pressure on it? By renewing your mind, literally shutting down your stinking way of thinking and applying your faith to what's been done in you already 2,000 years ago. You put faith in that and then you do corresponding actions. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. When you do corresponding actions, you lean into what God gave you. You say, I'm not backing up, I'm leaning in. If you're believing for healing, you say, nope, I will not cast away my confidence and only you and God know if you're really believing. Only you and God know that. You've seen people that die Uh, and they look like they're in faith, they say all the right things, but only you and God know Only you and God know. And I gotta tell you, an abandonment to faith, an abandonment to his covenant, an abandonment where you do not cast away your confidence is the way to get her done. I gotta tell you right now, man, there's areas in my life I said, you know what? The conclusion when all has been heard, Ecclesiastes says, is fear God and keep his commandments. Now, in Jesus, we just keep walking. In Jesus, you're keeping all the commandments. So let's translate that for the New Testament understanding. The conclusion when all has been heard is, is fear God and stay stay in Jesus, stay in Jesus, his word abiding in you. You're abiding in him and his words abide in you is how you cast not away your confidence. That's why we study the word. That's why we speak the word. That's why we find promises and we renew our mind to it until we, we cause it to manifest from what's already done in the unseen into the realm of the seen. You casting not away your confidence means you are putting pressure on the covenant. Listen to me. Put pressure on that covenant. In other words, you find the promises of God and you meditate on that until that becomes your walking reality. Until you see it, you believe it, you speak it, you train your words to say it until it's renewing your mind and you say, God cannot lie. And I gotta tell you, God cannot lie. Not because God chooses not to lie, but it's because God is truth. Listen to me. God is love and he is truth. God is truth. It's not like he chooses. Mm, I'll lie, I won't lie. I'll just you know work around, I'm shady here. No, no, no. God is truth. He is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. God is truth. He is truth. In him is no darkness. There is no darkness in him at all. First John says, in him there is no darkness. No, James says, no turning of shadows. There is no darkness in him. God is all light. He is the truth. He is truth. So he cannot lie. He cannot lie. That's like saying to a rock, be an apple. It doesn't work. A rock is a rock. It's not an apple. It's like saying, hey, uh, rock, be like a rock. No, it is a rock. God is truth. He is truth. He is truth. And when you put your faith in him, you cast not away your confidence. You literally put your faith in his word. You put your faith in his promise. You lean into him. You lean into that promise. God cannot lie. He is all truth. And and the the area that there's the, the shaking and the area where there's brokenness is literally this. It's your unbelief. It's the carnality we deal with, and we have to confront that with the Word of God. Let me go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to give you this scripture really quick. Remember uh, in the book of Joshua? I think it's Joshua, I think, 4, Joshua chapter 4, verse 13, actually. Joshua 4, 13, and maybe I'm getting that scripture wrong. Remember when Joshua was about to go take Jericho? Joshua was about to go take Jericho, and he comes walking up, and all of a sudden a man stood in front of him. A man stood in front of him with his sword drawn in Joshua chapter four. A man standing there with his sword drawn, and uh, it's either four or five, but I believe it's four. He's standing there with his sword drawn, and Joshua said, "Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you for us or are you for them?" And and the man said, "I'm not for either. I'm the captain of the Lord of Hosts. I'm here to take over." Now I'm paraphrasing. I'm here to take over, and Joshua's like, "Ooh," (laughs) and he took his sandals off and Jesus and this this. This entity, because it wasn't an angel, he said, the place where you're standing is holy ground. You better get down on the ground. He gets down on the ground, and this is talking about this. You know what that was? That was a pre-incarnate Jesus, because it was him. It was all capitals, and this and that. And he said, you get down. He gave him the battle plan, how to take on... how to take on Jericho. And Jesus stood there in the pre-incarnate Christ in Joshua chapter four, stood before Joshua and said, you need to bow down for the place you're standing is holy ground. Angels don't say that. It was Jesus. Jesus was there. And he said it, man, if you read it, you see it. He's there. He said, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. And he's holding a a sword. You know, I I wanted to say it was flaming, but it didn't say that. He was holding a sword and he's standing in that place. And I got to tell you, Jesus is here to show up in the same way for you right now, through his word in your heart, in your heart. In the Old Testament, you see that stuff happen for people. But right now, Jesus doesn't need to do that because we can put pressure on a covenant that's indwelling in us. We don't need him to appear and tell us what to do. He's already telling you what to do. Now, listen to me very carefully. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go here. Oh, this is so good. Verse 25, I'm going to get a running start at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, talking about God. For if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. This is talking in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm in verse 26 whose voice then shook the earth. When he spoke in the Old Testament, Sinai shook. It terrified the people. Moses even said, I am trembling with fear. (laughs) You know, when God spoke, he's like, I think God was saying, I love you. Come near to me. But in the uh, yes, yeah, she is actually. In the, in the Old Testament, when God would speak, it was his holiness that would touch sinfulness or, or pure carnality because nobody was redeemed. There was no mediator. So God spoke and the earth would shake because that's God's holiness manifesting in front of fallen man. So in the Old Testament, when God spoke, it was fire. It was shaking. It was earthquakes. Today, when God speaks, it's sweet. It's the Holy Ghost because the mediator came. Jesus interpreted God for us and the Holy Ghost is loving on us and he's speaking to us. He's the comforter. He's all these things. And you want to see what it looks like without the Holy Ghost and without Jesus? Look at God just speaking to people in the Old Testament. Moses, tell them! They were terrified. Moses is like, I'm afraid. Please don't speak anymore. It's so terrifying. I feel like I'm going to pass out, God. The earth is shaking. God's like, I love you. You know, because that's just how it was. Holiness and carnality don't mix well. That's why we needed the person of Jesus. Okay, now we get here into, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised. It's so awesome. Notice that in the Old Testament, the voice shook the earth, but now he speaks with a promise. You gotta hear this. In the Old Testament, his voice shook the earth. And people say, why doesn't that happen today? Well, it'll happen in the book of Revelation. I'm still saying God can do all that stuff. But his voice used to shake the earth when he spoke. Today, his voice is through the promise. It's through the covenant. God corrects, he directs with his word, with his word. Now listen, it says here, verse 26, his voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not only earth, but heaven. I'm gonna shake the earth, and heaven. And he goes on to say, Now, this yet once, once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. This is so amazing. Listen to me carefully. This is going to really help you right now. And it says here, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot, cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, here's what this is saying. We are receiving, verse 28, I wanna focus on this. There's a lot we could say about this whole passage, but I like to give context and then poke at a verse. Verse 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God. I mean, that's like the gospel, okay? That's the whole thing, okay? We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. What's the kingdom of God? Jesus said the kingdom of God is not here, it's not there. The kingdom of God is not over that way, this way. It's not a place. It's not something you handle or touch or see. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, and it is within you. The kingdom of God is not something you see. It's within men, and it is righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy and the righteousness, peace and joy inside you is what God says cannot be shaken. That is your confidence. Your confidence looks like righteousness. I am in right standing with God. Luke two fifty two. I'm in right standing with God and man. I have peace, the peace that passes all understanding guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I have the joy of the Lord that gives me strength through every circumstance, righteousness, peace and joy is the kingdom of God. If you are lacking that sense of righteousness inside you to Jesus, if you're lacking that sense of peace and joy, you are not experiencing the kingdom of God in you. The kingdom of God, and there's all these books on the kingdom. Ah, oh, the kingdom's this. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth and all, that, all this stuff. No, the kingdom is divine very simply. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. That is the kingdom of God, and it dwells within you. It dwells within you. That is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. I know there's a lot of teaching that says, you know well, we got to establish the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, your kingdom come on this earth, this physical body as it is in heaven. Your will be done in this earth as it is in heaven, in the realm of the unseen into the natural, this physical jars of clay, this kingdom. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God dwells within men. The kingdom of God, as it is in heaven, is in you. That's why when you walk into play, it's not talking about God's kingdom setting up here and we're going to have dominion. That's what the zealots taught. Listen to me. That's what the zealots taught. That's why Judas betrayed Jesus. He was so mad. He said, Jesus, I want you to take over. You're supposed to take over Rome. You're supposed to do all these things. You're supposed to be a military leader. You're supposed to be like a Caesar to us. You're supposed to rule as a king on this earth. No, that's the wrong dispensation. We're not in that dispensation yet. There is a day when Jesus will come, set up camp on earth, and run this place for a thousand years before the new heaven and new earth comes. Jesus is literally going to come on this earth and run the show. He's going to run the show. We are called to take dominion on this earth and we're called to be influenced, salt and light. But the kingdom of God is within men. The kingdom is not something we set up, shop and say the kingdom's here. Hey, the kingdom's here. No, the kingdom is in you and it is righteousness, peace and joy and it's your job to tell other people about it and get them into the kingdom so the kingdom can be established in them. That's Jesus Christ setting up shop inside you, the temple of God. And anyone that destroys this temple, him will God destroy. And that's why he went against Ananias and Sapphira. That's why he went against Herod. That's why he went against all these people and all these judgments that happen because the only time God lashes out in judgment in the New Testament is if someone tries to destroy the body of Christ. So when you start to understand this, that the kingdom of God is not something we set up shop with and say, this is the kingdom, this is the kingdom. No, the kingdom of God is within you, and you can see the effects of the kingdom, and I understand that. The effects of the kingdom in the world, please don't misunderstand me, the effects of the kingdom comes through those who have the kingdom in them. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God dwelling within men. The kingdom is not something that we try to set up and build a building and say, this is our kingdom building. No, that's called cult stuff. <laughs> the, kingdom of, <laughs> the kingdom of God is within you. You are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a building, it's not a culture, it's not this, it's not that, it's not these things. The kingdom of God is in you. There is no presence of God in a meeting if you're not there. If you're not there, there's no presence of God. Because God dwells in his, in his people. God dwells in his people. He writes his law on their heart. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The kingdom of God is within you. And this is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be Shaken. And that's why you cannot cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence. Meditate on the law of the Lord. In other words, the word Jesus spoke day and night. You get his word in you. You begin to develop in it. And it will literally bring light and life and illumination. You'll be like the path of the righteous, Proverbs 4.18, that shines brightly until the full light of day. You'll begin to move forward and goodness and mercy will follow you. And the kingdom of God that is within you will manifest out of you. And your presence will demand an explanation. I walk into buildings and buildings don't demand an explanation to me unless they have really nice architecture or good music or something. You know, the buildings don't demand an explanation to change people on the inside the kingdom of God within you that cannot be shaken. We receive this kingdom that cannot be shaken inside of us. That is the, the horsepower that brings faith. Your faith in that, the faith inside you, the faith of God in you, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy that dwells within you. That is the power that will not be shaken, and you putting your faith in that from that place is the power that brings the world to its knees. First John 4 says, and when you recognize this whole process, you Begin to realize that that is the power that changes the world. That is the power that brings changing true. When people say, uh, let heaven come to earth, oh God, we want to touch heaven and bring it to earth. Well, Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. It's done, man. He touched heaven for you and brought it to earth right here, right here. And now, wherever we step, when we step on the territory, when we come into places, our presence should not only demand an explanation, it should get results. Now, your vision. In that kingdom, when you're striving to enter the rest God gave you, the vision you carry, all the things that you're walking in, all the power of God, the the distribution center of the Holy Ghost that you are, when you're walking around, that vision God gave you in all this, that is, wonder, is what is under assault. That's what the devil's trying to get at. He's trying to get you to cast away your confidence by saying your vision isn't true. You get a vision, so persecution comes. Trials, tribulation try to hit you because of the vision, because of the word. It tries to get you to cast away your confidence and not get the reward that's attached to the end of that confidence. Do not do that. Stand in righteousness. I am righteous with God. God loves me as much as Jesus. That's righteousness. He made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God. I'm as righteous as I'm ever going to get. And then you go from there and you say, I have peace. Jesus said, I don't give you peace like the world gives. I give you a peace that passes all carnal knowledge, all natural understanding. Your peace is so strong that you can die for the gospel and you'd be all good to go. Because you have peace and then you have joy. You have propulsion. You have that strength. Isaiah 55 says you go out with joy and you're led by that peace. Isaiah 55 talks about it. Joy is like the gas, it's the propulsion. Joy is strength that keeps you going in the middle of the storm. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not like, this is so. I'm just so happy right now. I like those moments, but Joyce says, I'm gonna keep going, you know why? Because I have the spirit of Christ in me. I have the greater one living in me and I have an overcoming horsepower that is inside me and I'm going through. Your vision is what's being tested. Your vision is what's being assaulted. Your dream is what's under attack. Praise God. It's not about happiness. It's about the joy of the Lord that is your strength, that is coupled, and it is it is a trifecta. It's those three areas that are put together. That's, that's your righteousness, your peace, and your joy. That's the kingdom of God. Put confidence in the word of God. Put pressure on the covenant, knowing that who you are on the inside, knowing who God made you, and you put pressure on the covenant through his word, and you say, I won't back up, and I'm gonna do corresponding actions until I see results, because confidence is as reward attached at the end. Don't cast it away. Stand on it until your light becomes the light of dawn that shines brightly like the noonday. That is you receiving your reward. Thank you for listening to this message. For more resources, visit josephz.com. Become a partner today and help us build lives by the Word of God.